Amen. Well, let's uh, turn to God's word for our reading this morning. We're back in Mark's gospel, Mark uh, chapter 2. We begin at verse 1, and then we'll read through to verse 17. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up. And followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do pray for the help of your Holy Spirit in these moments now as we come uh, to the word that he inspired, uh, that he might do the preaching of your word powerfully convict us and show us our need of you. Show us where we are falling short in our lives, that we might live the life that you've called us to in fellowship with you and in fellowship with each other. Lord, please don't pass us by this morning. Don't leave us unchanged for our good and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been outraged at something? Can you think of a time when you saw something happen that you so barely could believe what you were seeing it was just ridiculous. It, it was a scandal in the sense of it seeming so not normal that you just couldn't get your head around why that thing was happening. Such things, they can happen in our lives, can't they? They happen in our world. And in our passage this morning, we see that exact reaction. 
from those who were there at a real point in time and history, 2,000 years ago in our account this morning, as they're reacting to the undeserved kindness of the Lord Jesus. We're continuing on in Mark chapter uh, 2, coming hot on the heels of what we saw last week in that encounter Jesus has with a, a paralytic man who was brought to him by his four friends. And we saw there that the greatest need of every single human being in this world is the forgiveness of sins. You need to know your sins forgiven, and Jesus alone has the authority to forgive us our sins because of who he is. He is Jesus. He is God himself. Now, these truths are seen again, and they are applied in the following verses this morning, where Jesus calls a man named Levi to follow him, and he then eats with sinners. This passage again shows us the the real state of every human being that has ever lived, on this earth, we are sinners. But what I want us to see this morning is despite who we are, there is a radical truth before our eyes here. Something that is really quite scandalous. By which I mean it is outrageous. It is barely believable. And what's so scandalous about our passage this morning? It is the scandal of grace. The grace of God is incredibly mind-boggling. It is beyond our understanding. The, the scandal of grace, that is what is before us as we see undeserved kindness shown to undeserving people. And I want us to see this scandalous grace of Jesus today in three ways that we might, with God's help, apply it to our own lives, that we might be driven to him in praise and thanks at his immense grace towards people uh, such as uh, you and I. And so this morning, uh, let's see that in the first way there in verses 13 and 14. This scandalous grace is seen as Jesus calls a sinner to follow him. Jesus calls a sinner uh, to follow him. We're back again by the Sea of Galilee. He's out beside the lake and a large crowd uh, comes to him. And yet again, he continues to do what he had been doing before. He began to teach them. That is, as we've seen in previous verses, uh, the ministry of Jesus summarized in so many ways. Teaching and preaching, it played that essential role in the ministry of Jesus. We're seeing that repeatedly. It's a vital aspect of any gospel ministry. And it's not something for a select group. But here, it's for the masses. It's for the large crowd that has gathered. And as Jesus is walking along by the lake, Mark tells us that he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, this description by Mark is significant. It is deliberate, and we might miss the weight of it. Today, we might not be a big fan of the tax man, because who wants to see their wage get reduced on the payslip at the end of every month? But nonetheless, hopefully, none of us have a strong, hateful feeling towards His Majesty's Revenue and Customs, because it's a job that they do, just uh, like any other job. But in the days of Jesus, in the context he was in, such a job was viewed very differently. Tax collectors in Jesus' day were notorious for being corrupt. They were despised. They were hated for seeking to line their own pockets. And worse than that, if that was bad enough, at the time, the country was occupied by Romans. And the area of Galilee, where we are this morning in Mark chapter 2, that was under the control of, essentially, uh, a puppet government. And so tax collectors, they made their living by exploiting their own people, helping the Roman occupiers to do their dirty work. 
So it shouldn't shock us that tax collectors in those days, they were detested and they were hated in the strongest possible terms. They were the lowest of the low in society. They were traitors of their own people. They were only interested in lining their own pockets. I really can't emphasize that enough this morning, how despised tax collectors were in first century Israel. They were viewed by their own people, kind of like how during the Second World War you had moles or informants who worked for the other side. They were loath for taking the side of the enemy. And that's something of the picture of what's going on here. Now we've seen already in uh, chapter 1, Jesus meet an outcast of society in a leper. Jesus had reached out across the social boundaries of the day to, to heal that leper. But that leper didn't choose, obviously, to, to be a leper, did he? He hadn't decided on that. Whereas in our case here this morning, in the case of Levi, he's made this decision for himself, hasn't he? He's decided to do the dirty work of raising taxes for the Romans, creaming off some for himself as well. And now, astonishingly, Jesus holds out his hand to Levi, this tax collector as well. This is scandalous. It would have been viewed by the ordinary Jew of the day as an absolute outrage. Tax connectors were this visible, tangible reminder of Roman domination. They were detested for their injustice, for their uncleanness in the eyes of their Jewish laws. So nobody would have been in any doubt that this Levi was a sinner. He would have known that himself very well. And yet what we see here shows us very clearly that the Lord Jesus Christ has come into the world for sinners. We read on in verse 14, follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Here Jesus calls a sinner to follow him. And remember that anyone with an ounce of patriotism, even if they had little time for the religious rules of Judaism, they were going to hate this man. But this is who Jesus meets and goes up to. He goes up to Levi sitting at his tax booth. And you imagine others in the crowd, they're trying to get by, they're trying to ignore him, they're trying to get past. And he says to this traitor in the eyes of so many, follow me. Did you hear the sound of the jaw hitting the floor there that day? What? No way. Surely not Levi. Why would Jesus want this guy? Why would he want Levi to be a disciple? What an outrage. What is Jesus doing? And Levi responds, doesn't he, to this call of Jesus. He gets on his feet, he goes, he follows him. Nothing is recorded for us about what's said after that. Simply that Jesus calls Levi and he responds and he follows Jesus. That's the proper response of faith. Following basically means faith. Following involves cost. It's not merely what we think, but it's also what we do. Now, one danger here is that we think that Jesus is only for people like Levi, people who are so evidently sinners, people who are corrupt and are only concerned with their selfish gain. But as we know from what we've already seen in chapter 1, when Jesus calls his first disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, though there's nothing in those verses we saw to draw attention to their sinfulness like Levi here, later on in Mark's gospel, we'll see very clearly that they are very much sinners who are in need of forgiveness. Simon Peter, he denies Jesus three times. James and John, they have a big argument about which of them is the greatest and their sin is exposed by Jesus time again 
as the sacrificial, servant-hearted example. So one writer nails it on the head by saying that everyone needs forgiveness. The self-righteous do not receive forgiveness because they will not accept their need of forgiveness. We should never think of our sin relative to our fellow humanity. Our sinfulness is relative to a holy God. And that's the argument the Apostle Paul makes in Romans 3. We read something of that at the start of our service. He tells us that there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us needs forgiveness, as we saw last week. And that means that every single one of us must follow Jesus Christ. We must respond to his call again this morning. In his mercy, he's giving you another opportunity to follow him, to respond to his gracious invitation to turn to him and to believe in him, in his glorious person and his work culminating in the death and resurrection of that first Easter. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is that you're hearing this call this morning to become a follower of Jesus. I wonder, will you respond as Levi does? Will you get up from your self-centeredness, from your unbelief, and put your whole life in the hands of another? Will you commit yourself to Jesus Christ this morning? You are a follower of Jesus, friend. Don't forget what we're seeing here in these uh, opening chapters. A very early theme that Mark is emphasizing to us is the authority of Jesus and the power that his words have. His teaching and his preaching have authority and power. And this is the third time, after Simon and Andrew, then James and John, when Jesus calls someone to follow him. And every time the call of Jesus penetrated their hearts, something incredible is going on here. Something supernatural is taking place before our eyes as the call of Jesus comes with the supernatural capacity to respond. In the case of those first four disciples, and again now with Levi, the most unexpected thing happens, doesn't it? They immediately get up from what they're doing. They leave everything behind and they follow Jesus. Friends, Jesus does not call us to do something that we don't have the power to do. Jesus gives us the desire to follow him. He gives us the gift of faith to accept his call. He gives us the ability to respond. In leaving behind our old life of sin without him, for a life of faith following him. And those first disciples, they were told that they would be fishers of men. They would be used mightily in the kingdom of God by uh, the Lord himself. And so it is with this Levi. He's also called Matthew. We find that out in Matthew 9. He himself wrote uh, that account, which in itself is an amazing thing for us this morning. That this once corrupt tax collector would be used to write a gospel account of the life of Jesus that today we might open it and read it and respond to the Lord Jesus through his words. Isn't Jesus a graciously generous saviour? For all the shortcomings of his past, and there were many, Levi is forgiven and Jesus fully embraces him and gives him a task to do, includes him in his mission. He uses him mightily and this morning... The church is still benefiting from Levi or Matthew's ministry every time we open his gospel account. And that should encourage us, brothers and sisters, shouldn't it? 
Here we find that there's hope for any of us and all of us. Though no matter who we once were, the Lord can call us to himself, embrace us and use us mightily for his kingdom. I wonder in what ways is that true in your life today. He equips us to serve him. He equips us to live a life that might reflect him. Such things are not optional for you, believer. They are a part of the call to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must seek the help of the Holy Spirit daily in this week to come. That he might use us in a mighty way. And so we see the scandal of grace as Jesus calls a sinner to follow him. And then secondly, we see the scandal of grace in the fellowship of forgiven sinners. The fellowship of forgiven sinners. That's what we see in verse 15. Jesus has called Levi to follow him. He does exactly that. And then the very next thing we're told is this in verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Forgiveness of sins and following Jesus leads to fellowship. Levi responds to the call of Jesus. And the next thing they do is eat together. They don't politely shake hands and say, well, it's been a pleasure. I'll see you soon. No, they fellowship together. They eat a meal together at Levi's house. And in the eyes of the onlooking Jews, the scandal was only getting worse. Things become even more outrageous. One tax collector was bad enough. But now Jesus is eating with many tax collectors and sinners. This tells us, doesn't it, that this calling of Levi, it wasn't a one-off, but it was typical of Christ's mission. Maybe this is Levi inviting all his work colleagues, everyone at the tax office, to come round, all of his associates. Come and meet this Jesus. Come and meet this man who's changed his life. Come and meet this incredible individual who has broken that triple locked door that was a barrier to people like Levi, of religious prejudice, of political patriotism and morality. There are tax collectors at this dinner party with Jesus. There are self-labeled sinners, people who the Psalms would usually describe as the wicked. These are the wicked people. These are the ones who are fundamentally outside of God's law. These are the people who have lived their lives in open rebellion to God's ways. And they're welcome in the presence of Jesus Christ. This was a social outrage. This was absolutely scandalous. And the talk of the town that day would have been about how unbelievable it was that Jesus, this teacher, had gone for dinner with a load of people who everyone else in town would have nothing to do with. But forgiveness leads to fellowship. Following Jesus means fellowship with him. Being forgiven our sins means that we now have a restored relationship with God. We have fellowship with him, which is truly stunning. See here the importance of Levi and the others who are eating with Jesus. They are eating with him. They are having a meal with the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. A new life has begun for them with the old barriers that used to hinder them firmly removed once and for all as they fellowship with the maker of the universe. That is stunning. But forgiveness doesn't only lead to fellowship with God. Primarily it does, and that is wonderful. But it also leads to fellowship with other sinners. From the moment 
that we begin to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. From the moment that we're trusting in him and we know our sins forgiven, we are brought into a restored relationship with our fellow forgiven sinners. That's what you and I are. The Bible is very clear about that. We are sinners. And yet once Jesus has called us to follow him and we respond in repentance and faith, we are saved sinners. And that means that you and I now have a real solid relationship with one another, with other followers of Jesus who've been forgiven too. Just like you, just like me. And you know, we fellow forgiven sinners are united in Jesus Christ. And because we are united in him, it means we are united with a selfless, sacrificial love for one another. We have a common purpose, a common identity. And so what Mark is describing here in this passage this morning is a prototype of the church of Jesus Christ. He is showing us something of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means to be a part of his church, united together with other brothers and sisters who have also come to know their sins forgiven. One writer puts it like this. We may know something of this closeness in our own families, our households. But as Christians, we are called to belong to a local church family, the household of God, where we have brothers and sisters in the Lord, sharing in each other's lives, serving and loving one another. Now that's quite something, isn't it? What we're seeing here is the fellowship of sinners. We're not called to follow Jesus and then stay in our own homes and keep ourselves to ourselves. We're called to follow Jesus and fellowship with him. And that means fellowshipping with forgiven sinners. Which means you and me. We are to spend time with each other and eat together and encourage one another. So as our brother who I just quoted said, we can be quite good at doing this with our own physical families. We invite them over for food and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I wonder, when was the last time you invited a fellow forgiven brother or sister round to your house for food? Or such fellowship doesn't mean you have to have a meal with someone. But when was the last time that you went out for a coffee to Costa or M&S or wherever your local is with a fellow sinner from your church family? In his words, are we sharing in each other's lives? Not in an overbearing way, but in an intentional and deliberate way. Seeking to do good and to serve and to love one another in the same way that you would your own physical family. Brothers and sisters, we must hear what the word of God is saying to us on this matter this morning. Following Jesus means the fellowship of sinners. That's you and me and every single person who is a part of his church here at Bethel. If we follow Jesus and trust in him, and have fellowship with him, then we must see the fruit of that in our fellowship with one another, in our own homes, in the week, spending time together with one another as and when we are able, and not keeping my kitchen and my lounge and my time private to me and my physical family alone. Now, Paul writes of this in Romans 12, verses 9 to 16. He gives us a flavor of what does it look like to be a part of God's family. What does it look like to be a part of the church family here at Bethel, what Paul says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, 
Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Paul does go on to say more, and I'm not preaching on those verses today. But the point is, is that what we see here in the very early days in the ministry of Jesus, here in Mark chapter 2, that was something that was being built on and was being expanded on by the time that Paul is writing to the Romans, only a couple of decades later. He's describing the fellowship of forgiven sinners, which the Lord Jesus came to establish through calling us to himself. And as we enjoy that fellowship with him, we enjoy it with others as well. And so we need to ask ourselves, don't we, how will we apply this to our own lives this week, this month, over the months to come? How will we enjoy and display this Mark II fellowship that we forgiven sinners enjoy with each other in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who unites us closer than anyone and anything else ever can? How can you share in the lives of, of your fellow forgiven sinners here at Bethel in a, in a better way than you have? How can you better serve and love your brothers and sisters that the Lord has called here? And we know that we need the Lord's help and strength and patience and grace. But brothers and sisters, the word of God shows us this morning that following Jesus means knowing fellowship with him wonderfully, but also fellowship with fellow forgiven sinners. So may God help us to grow in this as a church family, that he'd show us the way to go. So we've seen the scandalous grace of Jesus in him, calling a sinner to follow him. And then secondly, in the fellowship of sinners. What an outrageous thing that it was to eat and to spend time with sinners. But then thirdly, let's marvel at the immense undeserved kindness of God. In verses 16 and 17, we see there that Jesus came for sinners, not the self-righteous. Jesus came for sinners, not the self-righteous. The absolute scandal of the undeserved kindness of Jesus, it's really obvious. It's really clear that day to those Pharisees who were there. They were the religious leaders of the time. And when they saw Jesus, we're told, eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? These Pharisees are the most passionate people about following all the Jewish laws and all the traditions that come with that. And a sinner is what they called someone who was not taking their Jewish rules as seriously as they did. And they're watching Jesus and they don't like what he is doing. As far as they are concerned, no true Jew, let alone a teacher of the law, should have anything to do with people such as this at Levi's house. You would think that if Jesus had met with these people on the condition that they changed their ways, well, then maybe the Pharisees might have understood. Maybe they wouldn't have been so bothered about it. But that's not the case, is it? They oppose him here, and they oppose him at every opportunity that we read of in the Gospels. And why is that? Why are they so unhappy with what Jesus is doing? Because the ministry of Jesus was not based on some kind of social reform. 
The scandal of this account is that Jesus does not, I repeat, does not make moral repentance a condition of his love and his acceptance. Jesus loves and accepts these tax collectors and sinners as they are. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that repentance is not needed. But what I am saying is that we don't need, the Bible does not say this, we do not need to clean up our lives first and then come to Jesus. No, we come to Jesus as we are, weary and worn and sad. We come with all our baggage and all our past and all our mistakes. We don't tidy ourselves up and reform ourselves and then think, I think I've done enough, now I'll come to Jesus. No. We come to him with all our sin and all our shame and we follow him and we trust ourselves to him, turning from our sins to him, believing in him. That's what the Bible says. I've heard one brother pastor here in South Wales put it this way. You come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. And, and that's the right way around, isn't it? And as Christians, we must make sure that we do not mix that up and insist on a, a moral cleanup before coming to Jesus. And that truth is illustrated in the life of someone like Zacchaeus in Luke 19. He came to Jesus as he was. He didn't build up any moral credit first. Yes, he did change. It's a wonderful story of conversion. He turned his back on his evil, selfish ways. But he didn't do that to gain the favor of Jesus, that he might be accepted. No, but he did that because he knew that Jesus had loved him as a sinner and had forgiven him despite all of his past. Every time it is Jesus initiating the fellowship. He did that for Zacchaeus, and he does it here for Levi. He's the focus of this gathering. And so he is fulfilling, in one sense, what the Old Testament's pointing us forward to, a banquet with the king who would come and would rescue. And we don't know how many there that day were not told, how many repented, how many changed and reformed their lives as a result of knowing the forgiveness of their sins. We are only told that Jesus fellowshiped with them. He ate with them. He loved them full of generosity and kindness. And that it was what made this such a scandal to the Pharisees there that day. And this will equally be a scandal to you this morning if for you Christianity is defined simply in terms of moral reform or of being of good character. This is showing us very clearly that being a decent person and keeping all the rules and behaving morally while not bad things in themselves at all, they are not the same thing as accepting and following Jesus Christ. They're not. What we have here is a whole new way, following Jesus over keeping rules, the undeserved love of God over any merit of our own. That is what Jesus and the Christian faith is really all about. And that is summarized Wonderfully, in this final verse of our passage this morning, as Jesus responds to the question of the Pharisees with this memorable saying in many ways, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
So in the words of Jesus, the reason he is eating with these sinners is because these are exactly the people that he came for. He came for people who know they are sinners and need his forgiveness. Now I'm sure that if we did a survey of how many of you have been to the doctors this winter, or how many of you have uh, someone in your house who's gone to the doctor recently for an infection or an illness or an injury, I guess that quite a few of us will put our hands up. We know all too well, don't we, from our experience that when we are well, we stay as far away as we can from the doctors and the hospital. We feel fine. We've got no need to see our GP. Our health is holding up. We carry on with our lives. I don't need a doctor. But when you get some illness, you know that cough that you just can't get rid of? That ache that just doesn't go away and on the list might go. You know that though some of us take a bit of persuading to eventually pick up the phone and we need encouraging to do that. Nevertheless, we know that when we are ill, in the end, we just need to see a doctor. And when you go to the doctors, the, the waiting room is not full of healthy people with nothing wrong with them, is it? It's full of people who are there knowing there's something that's not quite right. They know they're unwell. They need to see a doctor, and only in seeing them will they be able to get some medicine, maybe, which they hope will make them better. And so it is, friends, with the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come for those who know that they are ill. Those who know that they can't carry on as they are. They are those who are so aware of their own sinfulness. By this word righteous, Jesus means those who think of themselves as being righteous. Those who think of themselves as being in God's good books. You could call them self-righteous. They are people who don't think they need forgiveness. They are a good person. They've done what they can. They don't need the forgiveness of God because God will understand uh, that they've tried their best. Or they're people who might be willing to accept that Jesus plays a part in their forgiveness but they can't admit that they can't contribute to it. They think that they can do something as well in order to prove themselves to God. They won't acknowledge that their forgiveness is all down to him. And his grace, that the reality is that their effort, their merit, their decent life plays absolutely no part at all. Friends, this morning Jesus says to each of us, in the words of one writer, if you think you're fine, if you think you are so healthy... Well, all right, but kindly let me get on with looking after the sick. Basically, Jesus has come for those who know they need him. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know that you need Jesus? You need Jesus Christ this morning. Do you see your sin and the problem that it presents in separating you from a holy God? Are you willing to admit your need of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might know a new life in him despite your past. Do you recognize that without him, you are lost in your sin? You're lost. Jesus has come for those who know they need him. There are lots of people in this world this morning that won't recognize that. Maybe you don't recognize that. Many people at Levi's house might not have felt that. But Levi certainly did. Levi knew he was a sinner. He knew what he had done. And yet Jesus has come. And Jesus has found him. Jesus came to turn strangers into friends. 
The grace of God extends to and overcomes even the worst forms of human depravity imaginable. And the very fact that Jesus calls Levi and is found in the company of him and his friends shows us the uniqueness of his saving mission. Compared to all other religions in the world, as exemplified here by these Pharisees, scandalous. Jesus came for sinners, not the self-righteous. Friend, Jesus came for people just like you and just like me. And this morning you can come to Jesus and you can follow him. You can do as Levi did. You can respond to the call of the only one who can save you from your sin and your guilt and your shame. And you know deep down, you know so deep that you fall short of God's perfect standard. You might deny it, but it's true. And you can try all you want to prove yourself to others and even to God. But it'll never, ever be enough. But it's okay that it'll it'll never be enough. Because Jesus has come for sinners. And that means that you can know new life in him. As you entrust your life to him and follow him all the days of your life. Will you come to Jesus this morning, friend? Will you trust him? Will you love him? Will you follow him? You must respond to this call of Jesus Christ. The man who is God. The one who has all authority. He is the only one who can save you. And who knows how long you have left. You and I, we don't deserve any of this. But that is the scandal of grace. This is all completely undeserved kindness shown to us by the Lord Jesus. And we can know that for ourselves this morning. He died in my place. That's the scandal of grace. Christian, that is your testimony this morning. That is how incredible his mercy is. That is how almost unbelievable this good news is for us this morning. Jesus Christ has not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And you this morning, by his great grace, can respond to his call in repentance and faith. Do that this morning, friend, won't you? Do that. Come to Jesus Christ today. No fellowship with him. No fellowship with us here in Bethel as a saved sinner. And know a whole new quality of life from this day on and forever. All by God's scandalous grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace displayed to us in the Lord Jesus. All of us are so undeserving. But we praise you that you call sinners to yourself. Help us to recognize our sin and our need of the Lord Jesus to save us. Enable us as your people to grow in gospel fellowship as saved sinners, united in the Lord Jesus, that all glory and all honor might be unto you in our Savior's name. Amen.